We read scripture from Mark chapter 14. The gospel according to Mark chapter 14. We have here one of the gospel narratives that describe the institution of the Lord's Supper by Jesus at the time of the last Passover. We'll read the first 26 verses of the chapter, and we do so in connection with our treatment of Lord's Day 28. We hear the inspired word of God in Mark chapter 14. After two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always. And whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. She hath done what she could do. And she has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priests to betray him unto them. And when they heard it, they were glad, and promised to give him money. And he saw how he might conveniently betray him. And the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sent forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go ye into the city, and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wheresoever he shall go in, Say ye to the good man of the house, The master saith, Where is the guest chamber, where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. And his disciples went forth, and came into the city, and found as he had said unto them. And they made ready the Passover. And in the evening he cometh with the twelve. And as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily, I say unto you, One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. And they began to be very sorrowful, and to say unto him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? And he answered and said unto them, It is one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goeth, as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and brake it, and gave to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, 
and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. We read that far. May God bless his word to our hearts. As I said, we read this passage as well as others to which we'll make reference in connection with our treatment of Lord's Day 28. Question and answers 75, 76, and 77. We find that in the back of our Psalters on page 16. Question 75. How art thou admonished and assured in the Lord's Supper that thou art a partaker of that one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross and of all his benefits? Thus, that Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat of this broken bread and to drink of this cup in remembrance of him, adding these promises, first, that his body was offered and broken on the cross for me, and his blood shed for me, as certainly as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup communicated to me. And further, that he feeds and nourishes my soul to everlasting life with his crucified body and shed blood, as assuredly as I receive from the hands of the minister and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord as certain signs of the body and blood of Christ. What is it then to eat the crucified body and drink the shed blood of Christ? It is not only to embrace with a believing heart all the sufferings and death of Christ, and thereby to obtain the pardon of sin and life eternal, but also, beside that, to become more and more united to his sacred body by the Holy Ghost, who dwells both in Christ and in us. So that we, though Christ is in heaven and we on earth, are notwithstanding flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. And that we live and are governed forever by one spirit as members of the same body are by one soul. Where has Christ promised that he will as certainly feed and nourish believers with his body and blood as they eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup? In the institution of the supper, which is thus expressed, The Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. This promise is repeated by the Holy Apostle Paul, where he saith, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, being many, are one bread and one body, because we are all partakers of that one bread. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, baptism is the sacrament in which we receive the sign of the covenant a sign of entrance into the life and the fellowship and the communion of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And baptism signifies the beginning of that spiritual life that God has given us in Christ. God washes us, he cleanses us from our sins, and then he brings us into the enjoyment of that life that is ours in Christ. If there's no faith, that life never gives expression. There's no benefit. But where there's faith, that union with Christ results in a hungering, a thirsting, a longing, a desire that shows itself in a desire for the spiritual benefits of the Supper of the Lord. And that brings us then to the Lord's Supper for our treatment this morning. The sacraments, as we recall from previous Lord's Days, are holy, visible signs and seals appointed of God for this end, that by the use thereof, he may the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel, namely that he grants us freely the remission of our sins and life eternal for the sake of the one sacrifice Christ accomplished on the cross. The focus of the sacrament is to direct us to Christ. And as we read here in the Lord's Day, to give us the blessed assurance that we are united to him. We are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. And as those united to him, we live out of him and we show forth his praise. Now God in love ordains these sacraments for us. They're holy because they're appointed by God. They're visible as we see the bread, we see the wine. They're signs in that they stand for something invisible. Jesus' broken body and his shed blood. They're seals because God makes use of them that they confirm his word of grace and his promises in our hearts, in our lives. That we believe that all of this Christ did, not just in general, not just for some, but that he did it for me. And notice that personal emphasis again through the catechism. The catechism is not speaking in abstracts. This is my personal confession. And as I stand before the living God, I confess, this is what I believe he did for me. My Lord Jesus Christ took hold of me. He drew me to himself. He united me to himself by a true and living faith. And now I live out of him. Now God could have well determined that that would be the end. He joins us to Christ. And now, being joined to Christ, we're, we're perfect in him. We're holy in him. And therefore, there's no more need for any kind of means. But God didn't ordain it that way. God ordained that those united to Christ would yet make use of means. And that he would ordain those means as necessary for their spiritual walk with him. Working in us that hungering, that thirsting, that desire for fellowship and communion with him. And then through the means that he has ordained, strengthening us in that faith and in our walk with Christ. We look at the Lord's Supper, noting the institution first as we look at the fact that Jesus himself ordained it. Secondly, the manner. And finally, the purpose. Jesus Jesus maintained all the ordinances of the Jews through his ministry. And that becomes evident again and again through his ministry as we read, as it is written, as it is written. Jesus making concerted efforts to follow the prescribed rule of the Old Testament. And doing so in order to demonstrate that he had come as the one who is the fulfillment. As the one who came in order to bring these to the conclusion that they had ordained. He didn't come to destroy, he came to fulfill. The chief of these ordinances was the Passover. 
the Feast of the Lamb, which represented two very important things. First of all, it was a commemorative one in that it represented the salvation of the firstborn of Israel from the angel that slew the firstborn in Egypt so that it looked back. The Passover was constantly looking back and it was looking back to what God had done for Israel on that momentous evening in Egypt. The people of God were in the midst of bondage and God separated them. God distinguished them from the people of Egypt. And how did he do it? Through blood. They put the blood on their door. And by blood, they were identified as separate from the Egyptians. And the angel of death passed over those that had the blood. They were set apart. They were consecrated to the living God by the blood of the Lamb. The difference between the people of God and the Egyptians was nothing of their own. Both were sinners. Both deserved everlasting destruction and death. They had everything earthly in common. But the difference was a spiritual difference. Jehovah God had embraced in love a people through whom he would show forth his praise. And therefore the blood was that alone which distinguished, pointing to God's grace and ultimately the gift of a Savior. But secondly, the Passover also looked back as a sign of God taking Israel out of Egypt and bringing them into the land of promise. It pointed to the miraculous deliverance that God had given to his church. Egypt was a picture of death, a picture of bondage to sin, a picture of the persecution and the oppression of the devil. Whereas God brought his people out of that oppression and he brought them into the wonder and the deliverance of Canaan. There were various pictures that God employed during the Passover feast that gave them that remembrance. The bitter sauce. That was a picture of the bitterness of the bondage in Egypt. There was the unleavened bread. Again, a picture of the fact that they lacked the good bounties of salvation while they were there. They were reminded of the wasteland that Egypt was. But as the Passover was looking back, it also was looking ahead. Not only was it looking back, look at what I did for you. And look at my love for you. And look at the way in which I distinguished you from the world by blood. It was looking ahead to the sacrifice of the Lamb and the coming of Jesus Christ. The one who would accomplish that deliverance that Moses himself was not capable of performing. Moses had to fail. He was a mere sinful mediator. But Jesus would accomplish it. And so the Lamb pointed to the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. Through the sacrifice of Christ, God's people would be delivered from the bondage of sin and Satan and brought into the joy and wonder of communion and fellowship with the living God. In itself, the Passover was no sacrament. Just like circumcision, it was an ordinance that God had ordained, but it was no sacrament. Jesus now on that last Passover feast, instituted the Lord's Supper in the place of the Passover on the 14th day of Nisan. We read of that here in Mark 14, verses 12 through 17. On that Thursday evening, Jesus gathered with his disciples in the upper room, and they celebrated that last Passover feast. They got the lamb, 
They prepared the bitter sauce, the unleavened bread, all of the preparations that were necessary in order that with his disciples, Jesus might celebrate the Passover. Afterward, he dismissed Judas, which is not explicitly set forth here in Mark 14, but it's recorded in the other gospel narratives. And then he instituted the Lord's Supper as a sacrament, which sacrament then now would take the place of the Passover. Jesus took bread and he took wine to serve as the signs. A lamb could not serve as the sign in the Lord's Supper because Jesus was the fulfillment of that lamb. He was the lamb that would die. And the lamb that was ate by the disciples on that last Passover then could be the last lamb that Jesus ate that was typically slain by Jesus and his disciples because now he, as the Lamb of God, was ready to be sacrificed. That Lamb looked ahead, it would be fulfilled in Christ. And therefore there would be no looking back with the Lord's Supper with the use of a Lamb. Now Jesus then took bread and he took wine and he separated the bread and wine from all other bread and wine that we make use of in our lives with the words that he spoke here in Mark 14, verses 22 to 24. By these words, Jesus taking it, breaking it, and saying, this is my body, this is my blood, Jesus now gave sacramental significance and meaning. He instituted the sacrament with the command that it be observed by the church, that the church keep this command until he return, and with the command that believers make use of this sacrament until he comes back again. This do in remembrance of me, he adds in the account in Luke. Jesus Christ instituting a sacrament that he intended now to be observed throughout all ages by his church in the world and to be partaken of by his saints. Now added to this institution in the gospel narratives is the significant addition of the words that we read in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 26. God gave special revelation to his church through the Apostle Paul. So that the Apostle Paul, who had not been present during the time of the gospel narratives, who did not sit down with Jesus and enjoy that moment when Jesus had instituted the Lord's Supper. Paul now is given special revelation in 1 Corinthians 11. God coming to him and giving him specifically to know, this is my will for my church. And this is the manner in which the sacrament is to be maintained within the church. So that now the apostle Paul is able to go forth, as did the disciples, with a clear understanding of the significance of this sacrament that Christ has ordained. The church through the the New Testament then, from the earliest times, placed significance on the sacrament. They guarded it jealously as a sacrament of commemoration as well as a sacrament of nourishment. So what is it that happens at the Lord's table? At the Lord's table, we enter into fellowship with the living God through Jesus Christ. We do this at every worship service. As we gather in worship, we enter into fellowship with the living God through Jesus Christ. 
Through the preaching of the word, we enjoy that communion, that fellowship with God. As Jesus speaks to us through his word and by his spirit in our hearts. He brings us into fellowship with himself. He gives us to know, you're not alone. I have bought you with my own blood, and I've drawn you to myself. And he gives us through the preaching to know that communion, that fellowship, and that joy. But God also ordains that the sacraments be useful in that manner. In communion with one another, in the bond of love, we're taken into fellowship with the living God. With God and with one another now, we gather in order to confess our union with him and with one another. We confess our enjoyment of that when we partake of the Lord's Supper. That I am not my own. I belong, body and soul and life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And we confess the astounding impact that has on our lives. As we're living in the midst of this world, we're not our own. We belong to Christ. We're living out of Him. And we're seeking to show forth His praise. We confess the only way we have a blessed place within the church of Jesus Christ is through the broken body and shed blood of our Savior. We confess, apart from Christ's perfect work, I deserve everlasting damnation. And we think about the comfort. We think about the hope that is ours. And we confess that it's through Jesus Christ and his one sacrifice alone that I've been rescued from the bondage of sin and death, from the devil and his evil grip, and brought into the joy and wonder of union with my Savior. The only thing separating me from the world, the blood, the precious blood that was spilled for me. Now, how are we to partake and how are we to conduct? Jesus provides us with a rich symbolism in this supper, and we look at that as the manner. There's, first of all, the bread and the wine. Bread is the staple food by which we are nourished. It's a symbol of strength, a symbol of confidence. God gives us bread. Bread is that which Jesus himself, as you children are aware, compared himself to. I am the bread of life, he said repeatedly throughout his ministry. He called himself that which is the staple, that which is necessary for the life and well-being spiritually of his children. We cannot live apart from bread. And Jesus said, just like that, you can't live apart from me. I am the bread of life. Wine is a symbol of the spiritual, heavenly creation. And a cup of wine is a symbol of joy. It's the color of blood. It symbolizes communion as we gather together and we have a cup of wine together. It celebrates and sets forth the wonder of prosperity and points to joy, a heavenly bliss and a heavenly joy. Just as wine is squeezed out of berries, so Christ's blood was pressed out of him by the agony that he experienced in Gethsemane, and then upon the cross. But the symbolism is much richer than just the bread and the wine. Secondly, the bread and the wine need to be broken and poured out. And we understand the significance of that. Jesus' body was broken. His blood was shed. And so the bread needs to be broken. 
the wine is poured out as a picture of Jesus' body being broken for me and his blood being poured out for me. We're reminded that in order for us to be united to Christ, Jesus gave his life. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice in order that you and I might know union with him. Then there's the eating and drinking of it. So we get all the aspects of the symbolism, the bread and the wine, it being poured out and broken, and then it's not good enough for us just to look at it. It needs to be taken up, and it needs to be eaten. It needs to be drunk by us. We don't just look at it and witness it. Jesus says, take and eat. He says, drink. And so we eat and we drink. In the fellowship, the communion of fellow believers. And we do so by faith, confessing that this is our joy, this is our hope, that we're not our own, we belong to Christ. And just as this wine and this bread becomes a part of us, so that it can't be separated from us, so I am bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, united to him by a true and living faith. And so we take Christ to ourselves. We appropriate him and all his benefits by the spiritual mouth of faith. As we eat the bread, as we drink the wine, we lay hold upon the significance of it, the victory that is ours in Christ. And we realize the glorious salvation that God has given us. But then adding to that symbolism also is this, the words that are spoken during the sacrament. They also belong to the symbolism of the supper. Christ speaks to us through his word and through his spirit. Jesus spoke to the disciples as he said, To them, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup when they had given thanks and he gave it to them. Jesus speaks of it being the New Testament of his blood. He talks about his body being broken for them. The words of the institution of the Lord's Supper also are found in the form that we make use of. Christ speaks through his word, he speaks through his spirit. It's important, therefore, that there be explanation of those words and that there be a clear indication of the meaning and significance of the sacrament. And that Jesus accomplished himself through the various words that he spoke. But then our fathers took pains to explain the significance of it and to lay it out for us carefully in the form that we use every time the Lord's Supper is commemorated. And that was to ensure the instruction of God's people. It was intended to prevent errors or abuse that so quickly would come in. To prevent the idea that individuals would become just comfortable with an external benefit. As long as I ate, as long as I drank, there's some kind of benefit. And so the form carefully, we would say, serves as an uninspired commentary on the Lord's Supper. Laying out the importance of how we partake. Setting forth the fact of the manner in which the blessings occur. That it's by faith alone. And the form then in its entirety is read at the time when the sacrament is being administered. So that we have these various forms of significance. And then finally, Jesus intended that the sacrament be a picture of God united with his people around a spiritual table. And we think there about our families getting together and all joined around the table. 
displaying the love that we have for each other, the communion that we enjoy with one another, so that we all partake the same food. We're united to one another as those who share the same common joy and treasure. And Jesus takes us and he brings us around his table. And he says, I've adopted you. You're my family. And as members now of my family, we're going to eat together. Now again, beloved, how astounding the God of heaven and earth gives his own son, knowing how sinful we are, how depraved we are, drawing us to himself, forgiving us, and giving us then to know fellowship and communion with himself so that we might know and we might enjoy his communion and fellowship now and to all eternity. The disciples communed with one another with Christ as they were joined around this table together. And Jesus ordained that he was at the head of the table and he passed the bread and wine on to his disciples so that they all would partake then together. Now practically that poses difficulties for us. Some congregations set up tables and they all get together around the table and they partake around a table. Due to the layout of our sanctuary, that doesn't allow us to perform such a duty. But we retain the idea of the table of fellowship in the communion table on which the sacrament is then displayed. And when we together partake, we then implement the idea that together we are here enjoying fellowship, communion one with another, united in the body of Jesus Christ, and celebrating that oneness with him and with each other. What precious symbolism. Now we ask ourselves, what is the purpose then? What is the significance of the sacrament? The catechism lays this out in detail. His body was offered and broken on the cross for me, and his blood shed for me. The one promise of the gospel is the promise that's evident in the sacrament. That one promise of the gospel through the preaching, through baptism and the sacrament. And that is the promise of remission of sins and life eternal through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ on Calvary. We receive that promise and we lay hold on it when we hear the word preached. We lay hold on it when we witness baptism. And so it is with the Lord's Supper. We lay hold upon the wonder that we enjoy communion with Jesus Christ through his one sacrifice, once offered on Calvary. Our sins are forgiven, and we've been brought now into communion and fellowship with him. The Lord's Supper is given to us in our weakness as another comfort and assurance that God is true to his promise. Again, that's marvelous, and it shows the love that God has for his children. God knows how weak we are. God knows that we read the Bible and we still go away from it thinking, "Uh, but I don't know if that's really for me. God knows that we fall into sin and we hear from the preaching of God's mercy and God's compassions to those who repent. And though we're sorry, though we repent, we still struggle. Can it be that God really would forgive such a great sinner as myself? And so we have baptism and we see the marvelous wonder of God's forgiving grace as displayed. And we still are tempted to question. And so God says, no, I'm going to give you also this, the Lord's Supper, as another expression of my love and my care for you. 
so that in your weakness you can know beyond any doubt by faith the union that I have with thee. And so the promise then comes not to everybody that eats. We understand that it's necessary that faith be implemented. Those who believe Christ crucified and that Jesus Christ was not only crucified, but he rose again and he did so for me and for the wonder of my salvation. We lay hold on Christ. We enjoy the treasure that is ours in him. And we realize that faith doesn't demand perfection. I'm never going to be perfect. It demands a sensitivity to sin, a desire to walk in holiness. It requires of us that we're hating sin and fleeing from sin and desiring to live a new and holy life before God. The broken bread, the poured out wine, signify this sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us. As we're walking in the midst of this valley of sin, this valley of temptation, we find ourselves unfaithful to God. The Bible constantly refers to the people of God as adulterers. We commit spiritual adultery. God has taken us and joined us to himself. He's married us. That's the picture the Bible uses. And now as his bride, as those who are called to live for him and to seek him alone, we find ourselves drawn and attracted to other lovers. And so we make money a love. We pursue fame and glory and we pursue other lovers as we go through life. And we realize, I'm not worthy to stand before Jehovah God. I rebel against him. I enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. In the midst of all our struggles and challenges, God gives us this pledge of his abiding love and faithfulness. God says, I have established an everlasting covenant with you. I have established a relationship of friendship and communion with you so that I have taken you to be my own and you belong to me. And he's established it. We noted that in, for instance, Genesis 15, Genesis 17 in the Old Testament to Abraham. God established it. He did so unilaterally. That is, one-sidedly. Abraham wasn't seeking after God, wasn't pursuing God as he ought to have, but God said, Abraham, I will establish my covenant with you. And God did it. Apart from anything of Abraham. And Jehovah God then preserved Abraham, even though Abraham lies about his wife. Even though Abraham is not conducting himself as he ought in all things. Jehovah God pledges Abraham, I have established my covenant, and I will preserve and keep you in it. That's the wonder. God comes to us, sinners, and God establishes his covenant with us as a one-sided, unilateral covenant of fellowship and communion. It's not based in any way on anything you've done, anything I've done. It's not conditional in any way. It's an everlasting covenant. If it's everlasting, it can't be conditional. Because if it were conditional, then it could be lost. But God says, no, my covenant is an everlasting covenant established by me with all those whom I have chosen from all eternity. A covenant not grounded in you, not grounded in your good works, not grounded in anything other than my good pleasure and the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ. God gives us 
to know the blessedness of that covenant and the fellowship and the friendship that flow out of it. And God works by faith in us to assure us of that, that we believe that my sins are forgiven me, that I enjoy that communion with the living God, and that I have in him the power to live a new and holy life. So that as certainly as I see the bread broken and the cup poured out, I am assured Jesus gave his own body and his own blood for me personally. Again, that's the emphasis throughout, that Christ has offered and broken on the cross for his body was offered and broken for me. His blood was shed for me. That's the confession that God works in us. God has established a covenant, an everlasting covenant with me. Humbled I am to the dust, and he will preserve and keep me in the enjoyment of it. And he uses means to do so. He brings me into the enjoyment of it through his word. Through baptism, he assures me of the wonder of it. And he feeds and nourishes my soul to life everlasting through the sacrament. We understand the idea of a meal. A meal is to have fellowship and to enjoy food together. Here, this meal involves God as the host. We as believers are the guests. We're commanded to attend. It's not optional for us to partake. He commands us, take, eat, drink. Of ourselves, we wouldn't come, but he draws us. He works in us repentance, true sorrow, and he draws us to himself by his spirit. And he brings us to the meal, and he works in us the desire to partake by faith. That being a picture of our need for Christ and the sustaining grace that he provides us by his spirit. This is his covenant promise. Fellowship and communion with me forever. That's the promise that God gives. And we stand before that. And he says, and I'm going to give you bread that will never cause you to hunger again. I'm going to give you water that you'll never ever have to thirst again. I'm going to bring you into the enjoyment where you're never going to have to eat and drink again. I'm going to provide all your needs. That's heaven. That's the glory of heaven to which he's bringing us. God nourished Adam and Eve in the garden with a tree of life. And he continues to all eternity to nourish us spiritually now through Christ with a life that's everlasting. As we partake now for a time on this earth of the bread and the wine, it's a confession that Jehovah God has taken me into covenant with himself. That he's done so on the basis of Christ's blood alone. And that he's brought me into communion with him and there's no one else to whom I can turn. I can't credit anything else or anyone else for the victory that is mine and I need him I can't live apart from Christ and so God uses the sacrament then to confirm that purpose in our hearts and to give us the comfort you are united to Christ nothing can separate you from him no one can separate you from him no one can pluck you out of my hand his life is your life that's the astounding statement when he says bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh. Now again, if we back up, how am I united to Christ? We understand how it is. That's the heart of our salvation is that we're united to Christ. 
And that's taught throughout the Bible in 1 Corinthians 1 verse In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness, sanctification and redemption. Of him are ye in Christ Jesus. And then Colossians 1, in whom, that is in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. And then by him all things were created. He's before all things, and he's the one in whom we find all things. Verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. God has joined us to Christ by a gift, and that gift is faith. This is the astounding wonder of his grace. God's grace is such that he draws us unto himself, It's not of us. It's all of him. He gives us faith so that we understand that union that we have with him. And the fruit then that flows out of that union is that we hunger and thirst after him. We're not satisfied with our life here on earth. And so as we hunger and as we thirst, he feeds us. And he works continued grace in our lives as a power that draws us to himself. He makes us hunger. He makes us thirst. Two things are emphasized here in the sacrament. Christ imparts himself to us. That's the truth that's laid out here in this Lord's Day. And by an activity then, we eat and we drink. So that he's taken us and he's joined us to himself. And then the fruit of that union is that we seek after him. We desire him. We cannot live apart from him. And we demonstrate that as we come to the Lord's table, as we come to the preaching, as we witness the sacraments, as we read, as we pray. God works maturity. He works by that faith fruit in our lives so that I confess I am bone of his bone, I'm flesh of his flesh, and yet I see in me so much weakness. And I wrestle against temptation. And I desire more and more to live unto him. And rather than despair, he continues to draw us to himself so that his life is our life. And he strengthens us so that we can go forward knowing and believing that I am united to him. And that his presence within me is such that he will preserve, he will keep me, and he will work in me that spiritual growth that's necessary to do battle against sin, to turn away from temptation, and to live more and more unto him. The believer feels that union to Christ through the sacrament as he partakes by faith. And he experiences the reality, I belong to Jesus Christ. I'm not my own. And this, again, is his comfort. This is his comfort from all eternity to eternity, in life and in death. And he desires to live out of that blessing as much as he can. But that union is still not perfectly realized. That old man of sin still remains within us. Constantly there's a battle. And so the Lord's Supper, in a sense, is the engagement ring, the wedding ring that Jesus puts on the finger of his church. He says, for a time, you're yet in the world. You're wrestling with temptations and struggles. You're waiting for that day when we're going to be joined together at the glorious marriage feast. I'm in heaven. But look at that ring and remember me. 
Remember that union as an unbreakable union. And in the midst of your despairs, your struggles, your sins, lay hold by faith upon the victory that is in Jesus Christ. Because, beloved, while in this earth we find ourselves unfaithful adulteresses, we love the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. But we still notice that other law that vexes us, that's competing with that love for God. And so in this world, rather than despair, we look to Christ and we look to the promise and to the sign, the seals that he has given. And as we cry out with sorrow, in repentance, we cling to him by faith, knowing that he is faithful and that he will preserve and keep us. So God, as another expression of love, gives us this sacrament that we might hear the words of our good shepherd, as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you shall be as by a sure remembrance and pledged, admonished and assured of this, my hearty love and faithfulness toward you. You should have suffered eternal death, but I gave my body to the death of the cross, and I shed my blood for you. And beloved, that stirs us to worship. It stirs us to gratitude. It stirs us to thankfulness so that we live and we're continually governed by that glorious truth and by the spirit of our risen and exalted Savior. Our union with Christ is what controls the whole of our life. By the power of his spirit, we desire to live and to walk unto him. And beloved, is that true of you? Is that true of me? That as we go through this life, we don't pursue our own pleasure. We're not free to go our own way, to pursue our own will. We belong to him. And we're aware of it. We're conscious of it. And we desire to live unto him more and more in thankful praise. I'm not free to pursue a life of fornication, a life of ungodliness I'm joined to Christ and as one united to him I desire to live for him he's my Lord and I'm the partaker of all his benefits beloved by nature we would rebel by nature we would struggle against his lordship in our lives but God uses his word he uses the sacraments to give us grace and to work in us the power by faith to submit to him and to confess that he is our only joy. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, what great things thou hast done for us, for thy church. We stand in awe, humbled to the dust, and may we know the love with which thou hast loved us personally, and may we live out of it as thankful children of our heavenly Father. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.